Uh, I would say it's the only DEX in the world that offers a fully decentralized distributed order book, and that's achieved through an intermediary peer-to-peer data layer called the SMSG network, which encrypts all traffic and messages between participants, which offers additional levels of privacy. We are the first project to have essentially utilized an implementation of scriptless scripts, uh, essentially adaptive signatures, and that is essentially what allows, that's the underlying bit of technology code that allows us to achieve Monero atomic swaps with an incredibly high level of privacy. Um, yeah, uh, we are an open source project and we support all communities, particularly those that are dedicated towards privacy. Monero Talk is sponsored by KCWallet, a trustless open source wallet that gives you the keys to your crypto. Invoice, donate, and trade your Monero with peace of mind, piece of cake. And by StealthyX, an instant exchange where privacy is a top concern. Go to StealthyX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making StealthyX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman catches up with Dr. Kapil and CG of the Basic Swap team. Basic Swap participated in last year's Monerotopia, and we hope to have them again this year in Argentina. In this episode, they discuss the progress that has been made since presenting at Monerotopia 23, the latest functionality, and the roadmap of the Basic Swap decentralized exchange. They provide an overview of the team, the atomic swap implementation that Basic Swap uses, user experience, and plans to improve accessibility. Key metrics about usage and liquidity are shared, as well as thoughts on driving adoption into the future. Special thanks to Basic Swap for being one of the first to build the decentralized bridges Monero needs to flourish in spite of the delistings from centralized exchanges. Monero Talk starts now. All right. What's going on, guys? Dr. Cop, CJ, CG. CG, uh, yes. Hey. What, what's up? Hey. The, ba- the basic swap team is it the basic swap i'm sure i'm sure there's more right yeah yeah there's more but they're hiding in the background <laughs> i i guess that is the first question what, who who is the team from for for basic swap and particle um obviously I, I assume there's you know just anonymous contributors as well but uh give us some insight into that okay so our lead developer is a guy called technovert uh, goes, you know, we call him TV around here. He is a fully anonymous step. I've never met him to this day, but I just want to attach the caveat here that the project is open source. So you guys can expect the code at any time. Just let's keep that in mind. Um, after that, in front in charge of sort of, and TV does a lot of the kind of back end architectural work that kind of makes basic swap work as an engine. In terms of the front end and GUI design, it's CRZ, a guy called Hairloff, uh, who's kind of, you know, both these guys have been with the project since inception. 
Um, so he kind of leads on the front end type development. Um, we've got a couple of other code contributors, you know, notably, I think, you know, guys like Hued, and there's a couple of others who prefer to kind of keep in the background. Um, again, you can always have a look in the Git and the repos just to see what they're contributing. And it's a community project. So actually recently we've been getting members of the Monero community now kind of joining us and actively kind of yeah they've been actually kind of you know making contributions to the code base and identifying Beautiful. you know bugs and doing fixes so it's really nice to kind of see how we've been progressing since you know Monerotopia uh in Mexico City you know thank you once again for just giving us the opportunity to present our vision there um you know we've we've had time to kind of develop this and, and grow. So that's our kind of key team. I, I'm one of the advisors and I'm a very front facing person for this project. So I'm Dr. Cap uh, and CG, who's also with us today. He kind of leads a lot of the communications side of things as well. So, yeah. Awesome overview. Yeah. So, so would you say Monerotopia kind of helped um, widen the ecosystem and kind of did it have that effect? Because that, that was that was certainly our goal. I mean, it, it I, helped massively. Um, awesome. I think it put us in touch with a lot of different projects. It helped give us a, an air of legit. It gave us legitimacy. You know, being able to actually present this concept and this vision, um, and giving people the opportunity subsequently to then test it out. It's given us a foundation base to build awareness of our platform from. It put us in touch with a lot of great people and has allowed us to. to explore a number of avenues with regards to the actual overall development of basic swap. So I'm very grateful for that. Uh, and it was just a really fun time. Really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it was. It was. I actually just rewatched your talk uh, as I was driving over here. Actually, I shouldn't say rewatch. I, I, I didn't get to watch it that day really that much because I was running around whatnot. So uh, it was it was nice to go back and listen to it. And it kind of brought me back to Monerotopia. I was like, what a, what a great fucking time we had. That was, <laughs> that was just, it was really good. Um, and I remember like when you were about to go up on stage, you were a little nervous or whatever. I was like, bro, I'm like, just, just go up there and do your thing. And you did a great, great job. And I think uh, what people walked away from from that talk was... Wait, basic basic swap is basic swap is is like is like doing what we've all been talking about, what we like what we're hoping to achieve one day, which is uh, a decentralized marketplace where we're doing atomic swaps. And we've always in, in the Monero community, we've always been talking about like other solutions, but basic swap really wasn't discussed that much. And I feel like you guys kind of came out of nowhere with it. And it's not theoretical. It's up and running. It's working. Um, so I feel like it's it's a bit underrated in, in the ecosystem. And I, I would think or I'm, I'm thinking you're going to start to see a lot more more growth as people realize what it is and what it's achieving. It's not you don't need to use particle coin to do it. It has the, you know, it's, it's not, that's not really, I think maybe that may have, uh, for some people, right? Because as you even said in your talk, everybody's quite, not everybody, but a lot of people are quite tribal with their projects, right? So there may have been some of that thinking, but base, basic swap is, is its own monster. It's just a decentralized exchange. Um, what would be, what would be your pitch for basic swap? How would you describe it and sure. compare it to the other kind of solutions that exist? Um, so I, when people ask me the elevator pitch, I say it is the world's private, no, sorry, the world's most private, safe and secure decks. Uh, it's a peer to peer decks. 
Uh, and it was, you know, at the time, it was essentially the first DEX in the world that offered, you know, unidirectional and then later the first DEX to offer bidirectional Monero atomic swaps. It's KYC free, it's free of third party fees, um, and it's straight swaps between the coins that you want to choose. So it is a means of empowering you to be fully decentralized and independent of centralized exchanges for your liquidity needs. That's that's kind of the short pitch for it. Uh, I would say it's the only DEX in the world that offers a fully decentralized distributed order book, and that's achieved through an intermediary peer-to-peer -peer data layer called the SMSG network, which encrypts all traffic and messages between participants, which offers additional levels of privacy. We are the first project to have essentially utilized an implementation of scriptless scripts, uh, essentially adaptive signatures, and that is essentially what allows, that's the underlying bit of technology code that allows us to achieve Monero atomic swaps with an incredibly high level of privacy. Um, yeah, uh, we are an open source project and we support all communities, particularly those that are dedicated towards privacy. How would you compare it to some of the other solutions that exist out there? Um... You know, uh, even Samurai's atomic swaps imp implementation, uh, BISC network, um, Havino uh, that that's 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 being built, Sarai Dex. I know I know I'm listing off a lot there, but like, where would you say it sits? If we had a Venn diagram of, of these kind of different things, uh, where where would you say it sits in terms of it, its differences and similarities among those different solutions that are all trying to essentially achieve the same thing at the end of the day, allowing people to trade crypto peer-to-peer uh, -peer anonymously uh, without a centralized exchange. Sure. Um, so just to kind of start there, I would say we are, for a beta, we're actually a surprisingly mature ecosystem in a lot of ways. Uh, we are not an AMM like Sarydex. Um, we are a distributed order book. Uh, which is kind of more in keeping, uh, you know, I kind of think of BISC and Havino as being more like a local Monero peer-to-peer -peer type system. Um, what we do is we take the best bits of centralized exchanges, which is the order book whereby you get the price you set for, um, and then kind of combine that with all the benefits of actually running that on a truly decentralized peer-to-peer -peer architecture. So that's really what sets us apart. And in terms of, you know, where we're different, we are more mature. Our, you know, our swaps are working. And I'm not seeing that, you know, that, that work, it works for a lot of the other projects too. Um, but I would certainly say, you know, I th I'm thinking more of Sarydex in this and, and, you know, no disrespect to them because we we are a more mature model than Sarydex, and that's the one I've been keeping more tabs on. Uh, and we have a somewhat more simplified architecture than Sarydex. I think trying to create an automated market maker system, whilst that has incentives built in for generating liquidity, there is a lot more mechanics to it. Um, and I appreciate that's traditionally an issue you would encounter with, you know, order book base, order book base. DEXs is, well, where do you drive the incentives for liquidity from? Um, but actually, this is something I was going to get to a bit later, but something that we've now offered in our most recent updates is essentially a, a liquidity script, whereby with our DEX, rather than you having to just post 
orders in a very manual fashion, you can basically set a script that specifies which coins you want to trade, what the sort of minimum price, the absolute minimum sell price you will have for them, uh, and then the percentage above or below the kind of market rate uh, that you would be willing to trade them at. So it creates the arbitrage opportunities. And it does that by essentially querying CoinGecko as an oracle or an oracle that you wish or an oracle that you wish to specify. Um, and then it kind of will then publish orders and republish them automatically at a time frame that you set, which by default is about one hour, but can be set as low as 15 minutes. Um, and there's no fee for kind of publishing those orders on the system either. So essentially, we offer now with our decks uh, a highly automated way to populate our order book in such a manner that you can essentially be your own market maker. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I'm, I think that's something that probably sets us apart to an extent or certainly advances the cause. Explain that a little, little bit more on how you could be your own market maker. Sure. So with basic swap decks, um, something that we've developed is a script that allows you to automatically create orders. So rather than before this script came along, you'd have to manually create individual orders to populate that book. Those orders would have a set expiration date at which point you would have to then recreate them, essentially republish. This requires a lot of manual labor. And the other thing is those orders don't automatically track across market price. So in our prior model, in our older model, you could potentially set yourself up to sudden liquidity changes or being taken advantage of. If you use our liquidity script to essentially be your own market maker, you can essentially you're basically directly interacting with the basic swap engine. You're bypassing the GUI and you're basically indirectly interacting with the basic swap engine. You're basically saying, these are the coin, these are the, this is the coin pairing I wish to trade. I want it to track market price and I want to publish orders either at a set rate above market price or below market price. I want to make sure these orders are republished up to every 15 minutes. So that way that process is automated. So you can essentially set and forget it. And you can then have your own decks that's running in the background that is automatically publishing order books on say Monero or like Monero to Litecoin. And you've set say, oh, I want it to, I want to make sure these orders are published two and a half percent above the market rate that's shown on the CoinGecko API. Um, so every say the price of Monero on CoinGecko's API is a hundred dollars. Um, you know, my math is terrible. Well, let's say 1% premium, you know, my orders for Monero to Litecoin would be say $101, you know, so, and it would automatically republish that. And every time the market price, market rate on CoinGecko changed. So say the overall market shifted and suddenly Monero was worth $115. Um, then I'd be taking, you know, I guess it would be 116.5. I'd publish orders for $116.5 and it would just do that in the background. And the, the, the price, the, 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 the maker price would automatically adjust without me having to actually manually do any of this. So that's what I mean by it allows an individual to become their own market maker. It certainly allows an individual to automate their own liquidity providing onto the network. Um, so I think in that way, it gives us somewhat of an, it gives us an incentive 
you know, whereby, you know, with the AMMs, you know, you typically paid out in tokens. With this, you set premiums. I call it the privacy premium. I hope that makes awesome. sense. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all making sense. Um, maybe, maybe we could have uh, CG jump in here because my, my next question is, so, so what is it like using basic swap at this point? From the standpoint of a regular Joe like me, what what do I need to do to start using Basic Swap to Atomic Swap Monero to Bitcoin, Bitcoin to Monero? Yeah, sure. I can I can actually share my screen and we can go over it. Uh, just share. What? Why he's um, doing that? Okay, go ahead, CJ. You, you ready? That? Yeah. Can you? Oh, wait. Hold up. Hold up. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. You see. So yeah. on. Yep. Yeah. So on the yeah. right hand panel, you'll see the network order book. That's actually the front end GUI. On the left hand panel, when you install Basic Swap, you're basically installing a dedicated instance of Basic Swap on your machine. So you're creating a node on the network. So what you're seeing here is essentially, uh, I mean, it's built from Linux. So is this actually the yeah. So I, at this point, I'm running a cloud instance of Basic Swap. So it's uh, not on my local machine for, uh, it's just more convenient, of course, like if you want the top privacy, top decentralization, might not be the best uh, foolproof method to run, you know, like a DEX on the cloud, but just from a usability, uh, for me, it's what works best. Um, so for people that want to run uh, the liquidity script, my personal recommendation would be to run it from a cloud instance and then maybe encrypt it because uh, you don't have to keep your DEX running 24-7. You don't have to worry about a power cut or you know internet cut. Um, and I do personally run that market-making script, and I've found that once it's all set up on a cloud instance, it's a really like, hands-off approach. You don't have to um, you know worry about anything. It's just going to republish your offers automatically at, like Cap was saying, at the set premium that you want. So... Like quickly, it's like it's coming with the basic swap uh, repo. If you fork the repo, or you just clone it on your device, it's, it's going to be under the scripts uh, subfolder, and you basically um, have a little Python script here that you run, and it's going to take your create offers.json, which is basically your config file, which is what we see here. Um, if I just like show what's inside. Um, So that's that's what it looks like. Uh, or actually, I'm going to just open it for real so we can browse it. So this is a typical JSON configuration file. And you can set you know your preferences for each offer. And basically, each block is going to be an offer. So in this instance, I have, I believe, like 20 or so offers. And they're just like set at different um, preferences for each and we also are working on a auto, automated bid system uh, that's that's not really stable yet or not something that we adver advertise but eventually the script is going to be able to also 
automatically put bids uh, for other offers when they fit a certain criteria. And um, so the configuration file looks like this and you set up your offers. And then once it's set up, you just run the script with the Python command, but on my case, it's already running. So once it runs, it's gonna look like that and you're gonna have your offers. So here on the DEX, so this goes back to how I'm saying you can interact with the decks without actually having to, to automatically republish offers without having to go mm -hmm. through the GUI. At the moment that the front end doesn't offer this functionality, it is something that we're prioritizing as part of the inclusion to the front end. But if you kind of go to, you know, our, our, our guides on the setup for this, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, if, if you're, if you're, comfortable you know setting up and installing the decks you'll have a fairly straightforward time doing this but yeah here you go you can see all the orders that are being sort of published on the system and there's no cost to publishing the orders here so it, it, it and there's no third party fees either you know someone either takes these offers um or they don't uh, and the only fees on this decks are essentially the transaction fees for the networks themselves. So it would be transaction fees for getting coin a more getting a coin from Monero address A to address B, and you know, and then the converse, the swap, the counterparty trade, you know, the transaction fee, the network transaction fee of getting, you know, say Litecoin from address C to address D. So that, that's kind of what we're getting for here is it allows for a high degree of automation, which makes it a lot easier for people to build liquidity on this DEX. Uh, and bearing in mind, there's no third party fees, you know, just a quick shout you know, I know with the Binance delisting, you know, one of the great advantages of this is there are no third party fees and it automates the building of liquidity without using an AMM model. So you're not worrying about pooling your liquidity with other people. And then if the largest provider suddenly pulls out, suddenly the whole average price collapses. It's just that your order is published at that set price and either gets filled or it doesn't. So you don't have to worry about that. One of the nice things about this liquidity script that we didn't mention was that, as I said, you can set the absolute minimum sell price. So if there's a sudden dump in liquidity, Again, going back to a couple of days ago when Monero, you know, dumped 36% on the Binance delisting, you know, you could set, say, you know, that back then I think the price was $150 and it went almost 115 I can't quite remember. But, you know, you could have set the absolute minimum price as $140. And then, you know, if it was running on this script, it would have only republished to 140 So you would have protected yourself against that sudden dump in liquidity. So this is kind of you know, where we're going towards is really more control and power for our individuals and more protection against, you know, huge volatility that can be turned on and off at will. You know, it's, it's more choice, basically. Uh, and that's kind of what we're all about here. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, you've got to go through a couple of steps to set this up. But once you've set it up, you really can just forget about it. <laughs> um, you know, especially if you if you do if you do the setup right first time, you can pretty much just leave it running. You know, as CG mentioned, preferably you know the ideal is on a cloud cloud based setup. You know, so you don't need to worry about leaving a machine on all the time. Um, yeah, I think there's like lots of nice little pros to this that are understated and as you mentioned at the beginning, underrated. For sure, yes. for sure. How how was it that day uh, during the delisting? Did you see a lot of offers? 
popping up on basic swap i we saw a lot of chatter about need for decentralized solutions so awareness of our project is growing uh i think more it's interesting we had a lot more chatter on our private channels about how we set this thing up um so yeah we did see a flurry of new users just coming in and saying how do we set this up what what is it how does it work so that certainly worked to our favor i think the the binance delisting in the short term whilst being bad for in the short term being bad for liquidity in the longer term is brilliant for decentralization uh, it's a shame that monero had to be the martyr for that but in a weird kind of way it works to monero's advantage because it's kind of forcing people to learn forcing people to adapt forcing people who are serious about this to reevaluate actually why we got into this and uh, you know a comment i saw on, on twitter in relation to that on the day was you know we've ripped the bandaid off now uh, and that's very much the case we have ripped the bandaid off of a bleeding wound that over time would have hemorrhaged and killed all privacy coins and 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 the solution you know one of the solution is solutions like this what we're offering here which is ways to build liquidity in an automated decentralized highly secure private manner um and in that sense i think we're quite a mature ecosystem so even like right now what what kind of offers are you seeing on there right now if somebody were to go on to basic swap Today, so you'd right see now. a bunch of Monero Litecoin offers, Monero Bitcoin offers. You'd see a couple of Fero offers, a couple of Pivx offers. Uh, you'd see part Monero offers as well, uh, which is kind of our native coin in relation to our project as well. So you'll see a mixture of things, but you'll mainly see sort of Litecoin, Bitcoin, Monero, if I'm being completely upfront with you. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's fine. has been the most popular pair for sure. Um, so yes, yeah, so, 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 so describe that even more. If I'm, uh, if I just want to go on there and, uh, you know, swap, uh, Monero to Bitcoin, you know, $5,000 worth. Is that, is that like reasonable right now with that, with that transaction likely yeah. go through in a reasonable time? Yeah, it would yeah, go through completely. If, if you there, were to takers. swap, there, there would be takers. So the orders can be partially filled or completely filled. So if you were to put that large an order in, there would, you know, that could be taken by more than one person for sure. Or it could be taken by a single individual. So as long as you set those orders to be allow partial fulfillment. Again, this platform, if you look at the mechanics, the GUI actually allows you to say, will the order be filled in a whole chunk? Will it can it be filled partially and split into you know in parts? Uh, the other thing actually I just want to mention is, you know, um, it is in the GUI, but it's not super obvious, but this is probably, you know, you could specify when you make that order that actually you could specify on a private order books that's only known to certain other individuals. So actually this doubles up as an OTC desk. Um, so yes, there potentially would be takers for that if you put it there. Uh, and we would love to see that sort of stuff. Although uh, my personal preference is Litecoin if, rather than Bitcoin. And that's purely because, you know, you're using atomic swaps. So you're dependent on speed and transaction fees. Um, so Litecoin has, look, I'm, I'm not here to judge cryptocurrencies, but if, if you're going to do the swap, my recommendation would be do Litecoin to Monero because Litecoin is faster, cheaper, you know, it, right, right. it's a much and has 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 very good liquidity in its own right. So that's my recommendation. Particularly if you're going to be running automated scripts, you probably want to use the cheapest, fastest coins as your 
counterparty trades because you'll wind up saving money on transaction fees. So that's that's the caveat I would say there. You can definitely stick the $5,000 Bitcoin in and you could make it your own sort of OTC private to one or maybe a couple handful of individuals, or you could publicly broadcast it on that network. Uh, and, you know, it could potentially be filled. Yeah. So yes. I, not that we talk about it, actually, I could start a Monero Litecoin swap while we discuss and just see the process. And yeah, that, that, it that would take that, too long. That'd be great. And actually, even if before you can do that. So let's say that right now, you know, I'm listening to this. I, you know, I, I'm a big Monero uh, person, but I'm not super technical. And I'm looking for a way to uh, obtain Monero anonymously. Maybe uh, I'm willing to go buy Litecoin on some centralized exchange. And I, I want to now go use basic swap to swap it into Monero anonymously. What do I got to do? So without even talking about these scripts, just kind of the most basic form, I, I kind of walk us through from from the get go in terms of the you know the software you have to download, the steps you have to take um, for yes a, a very noobish person to essentially sure. anonymously turn their Litecoin into Monero. Okay. Um, so the first thing you do is go to basicswapdex.com. Uh, and you'll get a website that essentially looks roughly like this in the background of my screen. Uh, you'll see there, there'll be, I can't see the background of my own screen, but essentially there'll be a link to the installation guide and the download option. If you use a Windows device, we've actually got an EXE installer that automates most of the installation steps. If you're using Mac or Linux, just follow the steps in the installation guide. Um, it does, once you've got through that, as long as if you persist, it actually doesn't take that long. It takes around sort of 10 minutes and it will start setting itself up. Once it is set up, you when you are setting it up, you have to specify the coins that you are interested in trading. So at the moment, we support Monero, Bitcoin, Litecoin, PIVX, Fero, Dash, and Particle. Um, if you're only interested in trading Monero with Litecoin or Monero with Bitcoin, then you just specify those are the ones I want to set up with. You can always add more coins later and you can always remove coins that you have set up with it, You know, if you don't want to trade in them anymore. But you specify the coins you want, it will download those blockchains, sync them, and it will sync to the network. So once you've done the initial setup, there's a bit of a waiting game. You just leave it switched on and then go about your day, do your thing. Once it is on, you'll essentially see that GUI that CryptoGuard showed you with the offers and order book. So I was wondering if you could kind of flip across to that screen for me, CG. You want to split the screen? Uh, yeah, if you could just share, and then I can just talk through the GUI itself. Oh, I think I'm sharing right now. Oh, are you? I can't see you. Oh, wait, hold up. I think it came back down. Here you go. Okay. Cool. So essentially, once you've done the installation, once it's synced, once it's downloaded the blockchain data for the coins you want to trade and sync the respective nodes, you'll connect to this and you'll connect to the network. You can essentially access that network through this front end GUI, which can be run in any web browser, essentially. Um, so that kind of just shows you, you know, where are you? So this is you. It looks like you're about to create. That's your Bitcoin wallet, isn't it? Well, you're about to create a oh, what? Yeah, yeah, I'm just sorry, the squinty. Yeah. 
So that's just showing the wallets. Um, like I said, we kind of have a preference for Litecoin and Monero from a liquidity point of view, uh, and from you know, for, you know, in terms of th that kind of pair. Um, but like I said, these are the different coins that we support, and you can kind of manage your wallets and you know see what your receive recipient addresses are. So if you kind of go to a managed wallet page, it will show you what your recipient address is. You simply transfer your coins to that address. They will then appear. Well, they will, yeah, they will appear here, as in you know they will appear in 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 your wallet because you're doing a wallet to wallet transfer essentially, uh, and then you'll be able to essentially place offers. Uh, or create offers uh, and make and take bids on them. So you've got the available bids there. You've got the order book, which is the show order book at the top. Uh, if you've you know, made, if you've taken some offers, then there's the swaps in progress. Uh, you can see the offers that you've made in your own dedicated tab. You can see the available bids. Uh, you can see bids that have been sort of received. Uh, and any bids that have been sent. So it kind of it'll show you essentially step by step what to do. And what we find is, yes, the setup process seem is daunting. It does seem daunting at first, and it does take a bit of time. But once you've gotten through that, actually using the DEX is very straightforward. It is very much create your offers or accept them, have a look mm -hmm. through the order bid, or use the liquidity script. Very cool. Very cool. CG, you want to actually uh, start a swap? Yes, sure. Uh, so you got your offers on the order book, and all you got to do is basically just find a order that's suitable for you. And you can, of course, like you can like, you know, filter all the options. This is the public order book. Uh, as Kat mentioned, you could decide to display a custom order book. So for example, if you have uh, like a liquidity provider that wants to set up their own order book, they can do that. And you know that everything you're going to see is going to come from the same liquidity provider. We haven't seen, or at least we don't know that people really use this feature yet, but it's definitely something that could be useful as, you know, adoption grows. Um, so just going to make sure the funds that you have. I do have a bunch of Particle in my wallet, but I also have... I used to have Monero before the call, but it seems that someone picked up some of my offers while we were discussing. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll see if there's a reverse Litecoin to Monero. I had some dust, but now it seems to be sitting in Litecoin. But otherwise, I'll just do like a Particle Monero offer. Um, so yeah, you just make sure that you have enough coins in your wallet and then you go and see on the order book what you want to swap into. My instance is a little bit slow because I'm running it on a cloud instance that's probably you know on the limit of the CPU requirement. Uh, mm -hmm. Typically would run a little bit faster. Um, so I do have some particle and if I wanted, for example, to... Um, swap to Monero. In the GUI, when you see a little edit button, that's because it's one of your offers. Swap, it means that it's coming from someone else. Mm -hmm. um, so let's see here. We have a... So I think in this way... Pivx or... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Cap. 
And I was going to say in this way, the order book is in some ways almost like a hybrid between that kind of uh, a local, uh, kind of a local uh, Monero, local Bitcoin style setup where you just see a string of orders and you can actually just take whichever one you want. You don't have to just take at the, at the uh, point of the spread. Um, so you can go further up and further down the book as you please. So it does offer that level of, um, of choice, essentially. Yeah. So let's say, for example, if we take that offer, the person's probably going to be happy because I'm going to be swapping $80 of particle for $60 of Monero. <laughs> let's consider that a Monero Talk exclusive giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> So you click on the who, offer. Who's on the lucky side of that? Again. <laughs> Who knows? Anonymous swapper. <laughs> so you click on the offer. It brings you to basically the page that's going to tell you all the information that you know you want to know about the um, swap. So you know the amounts that's going to be swapped, the rate, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the first step that you got to do is put a new bid on. Mm -hmm. and then you're given the same page again, but you're just going to be confirming here um, the bid information, and you can adjust the amount here that um, you want to send and, or, or actually that you're going to receive. So we're just going to be sending the bid as is. There you go. Ah, that is it's a slow. Just, it's just loading. Oh, there you go. Oh, it says error, send bid failed, invalid amount. Um, let's just try a smaller bid. Okay, so you're going to go for a partial bid offer. And is that because of the transaction fees, isn't it? Uh, potentially. But now the yeah. bid has been sent. Okay. And so the other person is going to receive the bid and they're going to accept it. Most probably it's going to be automatically accepted. It's going to show here eventually. It'll show. So essentially this it will propagate across the network and then it will get accepted. Oh, there you go. Yeah. No, why, why was it automatically accepted? Because the... The other user um, it depends. Hit. The liquidity provider or the person that puts the offer can either have it being automatically accepted or that they want to manually accept it. Okay. It's when you post the offer, you can, you know, decide that. Because mm -hmm. especially with there's an option as well to include partial um like custom rates. So I will put mm -hmm. an offer and I will say that I will accept a certain, you know, leeway in the rate. Uh, that I can receive an offer. If you do that, obviously it's recommended that you set it to manually accept in case someone sends you like a very low ball rate. Of course, you would probably want to reject it. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in general, I just put my own offers at automatic, automatic, automatic acceptance and fixed rate. Awesome. So what's what's happening now then at the at this moment? Uh, the bid has been sent. It should be accepted eventually, unless the um, offer is uh, well. Oh, it might not be automatic. Yeah, it says bid accepted. Accepted. Okay. Yep. So it's gonna appear here in the swaps in progress shortly. Uh, there can be like a few seconds or 
mm-hmm. minutes delay. But the bid has been accepted now, so the process will start to go through. If we click here on details, we're going to be thrown to the bid page, and that's where we're going to be seeing here the progress um, as we keep talking. The state, the the states here, and the steps will, you know, progress through. Very cool. And so, what's kind of really the time constraints there with how long it takes? It's you have to wait for a transaction to confirm on on each side. Like, yeah, yeah there's what's, what's, there's what's happening a, there. There's going to be a few blocks, uh, block confirmations required on each side because they're on chain transactions and data has to be sent uh, between the two parties. But typically, the biggest time constraint is the um, block time. So with Monero being relatively fast and Particle as well, it's not really going to take a whole lot of time. However, if you do like a Bitcoin to Monero swap, we've all seen at times blocks on the Bitcoin side that can last hours, if not in terrible time days. Um, So that happens and that will significantly slow down the swap (laughs) for obvious reasons. And that's why I think the Litecoin to Monero pair is is so popular nowadays. It's our probably most used pair now. I think it's yeah. funny in that, you know, so I was going to say you can actually kind of read into the future of, you can kind of predict the future resiliency and robustness of networks just by using this. Uh, you know, will Bitcoin truly remain decentralized if it can't improve its core block times and can't be used effectively on DEXs? That's a question I'm leaving. I don't want to be the guy that comes in here and spews a ton of hate against Bitcoin. But what I'm trying to say is being very pragmatic here. When you use this DEX, the consideration should be given to actually, you know, what is the underlying architecture? You don't, as an end user, you don't need to know that, but it's helpful to be aware because it helps you get the best deals out of the network. Now, when you guys first launched uh you were using a a, a different atomic swap implementation than you are now um so we actually launched with monero we actually launched with adapter signatures um so the hash lock time lock uh method doesn't work for monero uh, and the reason for that is because for a coin to be swapped using that method, the the hash lock time lock method, you actually need to have programmable inputs on both coins. Now, the way the Monero architecture is designed, uh, and you know, it's a credit to security uh, and privacy, it doesn't permit or enable programmable uh, programmable outputs. So, mm-hmm. up to the point we kind of came along and deployed this, um, you know, live implementations of Monero atomic swaps weren't really a thing. Um, with adapter signatures, that's essentially an implementation of scriptless scripts. What it basically means is as long as one coin has programmable outputs, then both coins can be swapped. So that means coins like Monero can be swapped with public Litecoin, public part, Bitcoin, which is a public blockchain, it can be swapped with the kind of it can be swapped with public coins is essentially what we're getting at. Um, There are a number of features that make the two-way swap look like a one-way exchange to outside observers. Part of that is the encryption of messaging across the order book. Part of that is to do with the nature of adapter signature swaps, provided the properties of the other coin 
um, you know, there are certain technologies. CG, I was wondering if you could go into that a bit more, actually. It's quite interesting. Uh, with Spark, specifically? So, like, with... Um, with some of these, with some of the coin, with with actually a number of the coins. So, for instance, Bitcoin it has Taproot support, and because of that, because of properties inherent to Taproot, if you were to do a straight swap with Monero to an outside observer, it kind of looks like a one. It you don't see a swap occurring. It just looks like a one-way transaction for Bitcoin, and you don't know necessarily that that Bitcoin's been involved in an atomic swap. So it provides an added layer of privacy beyond the inherent privacy of sending Monero from one address to another. So this kind of gives a lot of peripheral privacy to certain other coins um, just through the very act of using it for uh, adapter signature type swaps. One of the other aspects is with the hash lock, time locked uh, atomic swap methods, you're kind of leaving signatures on both chains that are kind of can be time linked. So as an outside observer, it's potentially possible for you to look at the traditional atomic swaps, which are hash locked, time locked, and actually kind of map out who's swapping with who, because you can see corresponding time signatures on each chain. And you can go, oh, that guy may have swapped with that. Whereas with adapter signatures, um, on basic swap decks, because a lot of the swap is being essentially carried out off chain uh, and essentially is only using uh, information on one side of the pairing, actually, it doesn't really look like a swap's occurred to an outside observer. Uh, and I think that's one of the fundamental privacy strengths to using adapter signatures or an implementation of scriptless scripts is it makes atomic swaps a lot more private. Uh, and that, that, you know, that, that's something that we kind of came out with out the box. Uh, we do offer ha uh, hash block time locked swaps as well, um, but we generally recommend and advise you default to adapter signatures to maximize your mm -hmm. privacy. How does that differ from the implementation that Samurai Wallet is currently using? Do you do you have any? Do you guys have any insight into that? Are you familiar with what they're doing? Uh, as far uh, as CG? I know, it's a, yeah. As far as I know, it's a very similar implementation. I think they use um, adapter signature as well, and they have linked it with their wallet. So obviously, you can do whirlpool to uh, the atomic swap. So getting you know mixed Bitcoin and returns. That's that's a feature that I think is cool. Um, I think I think I've seen some people, um, you know, with the concept that I'm sure we all not like very much here of colored coins. So basically, when you get um, coins from what could be identified as a mixer, uh, some centralized exchanges will ask extra questions or proof of funds because they will consider the bitcoins to be tainted so that's been um, an issue i've seen people talking about with the whirlpool um, integration to to their adapter signature once again it's not a concept that i'm very much a fan of or uh, give credence to but if you're going to be carrying your coins to centralized exchanges it's definitely something you got to keep in mind um, but Ultimately, I think we all agree that the end goal here is to do away with centralized exchanges. So um, it's providing an additional you know, user interface and way for people to uh, protect their privacy. So it's, uh, I think, a good news overall for Monero, same as you know, Serai Dex, Avino, BISC. I think the more options that we have, 
the more um, variety of user interfaces as well, going to cater to different types of users. Um, so in a way, going back to the Monero delisting from centralized exchanges, I think we've been kind of lucky in a way because regulators have given us the time to build these solutions before they uh, struck down the hammer. So in a way, it's not the worst of timing. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think no, uh, from what I know from Samurai Dex, it's a adapter signature base integration. So it's probably similar. I think they do one-way swaps for the moment. I do expect them to eventually allow bi-directional atomic swaps as well, but I, I'm not 100% sure they offer that right now. Yeah, why, why is it that they're just doing one way? Because that's why that's why I thought I thought the implementation was different. Because I know, uh, yeah, Seth for pri privacy was was uh, criticizing it because of uh, the implementation they're using. That it, you, you could potentially be able to identify that a swap has taken place. That's why I thought uh, the implementation was different. Than what so yeah, so the, so we so yes, there is a difference in the way we've implemented adapter signatures on our decks, um, and it all boils down to the fact that we utilize an intermediary data layer where a lot of the contract execution occurs. So if you kind of look through the process flows for atomic swaps on our decks, uh, the SMSG network, which is essentially the underlying uh, DSN distributed storage network and data layer that facilitates uh, the swaps on our decks. It's an end-to-end -end encrypted network. But what it also does is it kind of essentially supports smart contract execution on the network itself rather than on the chain. So what you're actually getting when you look through our process flows, this is a kind of simplification of it, but essentially you're kind of getting a template of the swap parameters on the actual intermediary data layer that gets published and I, I always get my head spun around when I try to explain this, but essentially it makes with traditional, if you're doing a straight adapter signature swap, it could be taker only. So if you're doing a, if you say doing a Litecoin to Monero atomic swap off, not using basic swap, what you're basically doing is you're kind of saying, uh, I have some Litecoin and I would like to exchange it for some for this. I have this much Litecoin and I would like to exchange it for this much Monero. Is anyone going to take me up on the offer? And someone with the required amount of Monero comes along and says, good day, sir. I shall take you up on the offer. And then they agree the swap parameters uh, and it's kind of executed. Um, but it can only be done that way. Um, when you create the templates for that swap on an intermediary data layer, you're kind of, what's the best way to say this? You're basically saying you as the person who has Monero says, I have some Monero and I would like to swap it for some Litecoin. Um, but what I'm going to do is place an offer on this book that says, Good day to any sirs that have Litecoin and wish to swap Monero for it. Good day to any sirs who have so much Litecoin and wish mm. to swap so much Monero. We're putting it as a pre-formatted template. So kind of, it, by having this intermediary data layer, you can create these templates that get around the restriction that adapter signatures provide, uh, and it all comes down to, it all comes down to only one one side has to have a programmable output, and that creates a limitation unless you on on 
it, it kind of doesn't permit two-way swaps unless you have that intermediary data layer in place to kind of have the workaround. Now, there are some charts that basically go and actually outline what's happening, and we can definitely like send the links to, you know, for you guys to go over it or for anyone interested to have a look. It is clearer than got, what I'm saying, but I hope it's clear enough. Swap. If you go on the, yeah. swap, on the swap page here, you can actually display these diagrams. But yeah, yeah, it's it goes a bit technical, but if that's your kind of stuff, it it shows it. But basically, our solution to bidirectionality was it, we didn't um, improve the bear protocol itself. The improvement was more at the basic swap level. So um, the protocol-wise, it still works one way, but instead, if you want to swap on the way that typically wouldn't work instead of putting an offer on the order book, what you basically do is you put an offer request for, mm. and someone that's going to accept this, it, the automated process is going to publish the offer that you're going to take on. But from right. the end user perspective, we built it in a way that it's it's seamless. Like you, you don't have to right. know whether you're making an offer, offer request. It's just seamless from the graphical interface. But in the background, it's sort of one way it works natively and the other way you kind of not trick the system but you uh, instead well, it's, it's just that you publish an offer request instead of just an offer so the solution happens at the basic swap level rather than at the protocol so if uh to go back to summary decks if they only have it one way at the moment it's probably because they've integrated the protocol as is and they might be working on a solution to um, through their user interface or uh, messaging layer to to build that solution. Yeah, and I, I know they're, they're they're also using sol a solution that doesn't use Taproot on the Bitcoin side, but you guys are using Taproot on the Bitcoin side, correct? Uh, not for the swap. It's the oh, okay. Taproot is is going to be uh, independent of Basic Swap itself. Um, the particle coin has taproot or you know two of the three items of taproot enable like bitcoin but you don't you don't need taproot to do a swap the improvement with taproot once it's fully enabled on bitcoin and particle is kind of more what cap was saying earlier um that even when you do an adapter signature swap there's like a signature on the block that this is not just a regular Bitcoin transaction. You can't really tell what it is, but you can tell like there was something yeah, extra. Yeah, this, this is what I'm getting at. Right. Okay. Yeah. So with Taproot, you would basically as it merges the um, hashes and signatures on the uh, uh, on the transaction, it would look like a regular transaction. But that's a bit further out in the future as like, future roadmap items because in the first place it needs to be fully enabled on Bitcoin. Uh, it, they're still like, um, I believe it's the Schnorr signature, signatures that aren't fully implemented yet. Uh, don't know for sure, but there's a critical item that's uh, oh, that okay. taproot only partially enabled right now on Bitcoin. Okay. So, so, ba so basic swap, when you're doing a, a Monero or a Monero to Bitcoin atomic swap, uh, on the big it, taproot, it, it is not being used on the Bitcoin side at this point, at this stage. No. Okay. But you're saying that the 
the there is no marker that's currently being left as to whether or not a swap has happened. Or you're saying it, theoretically that there 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 is some kind of indication. There's uh, an, look at an indication that a specific thing has happened with the transaction. So it, it it's not like a plain regular A to B transaction without you know any um, hash or signature or anything. But it it cannot be traced to another block of another chain so the issue with the secret hash or htlc swaps is that on both chains you would have the same hash um, inscribed in blocks that are closed in time so for example of course that's not the case with monero because it cannot use secret hash it uses a depth signature but let's say i swap litecoin for bitcoin so two transparent coins you're gonna have the same hash on the bitcoin transaction on the blockchain and the same hash is going to be as well on the Litecoin side. So for a passive observer, they can just, you know, like passively trace the two blockchains and they're going to see eventually that two transactions that are very close in time have the same hash. So it becomes quite easy actually to infer that two people have swapped together because of that. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. But from the from from the Monero perspective, I'm doing Monero to Bitcoin, and I receive. You don't Bitcoin. need to worry about it. Is it is it you then don't. known that those bitcoins have gone through a swap? Is it, is that identifiable? Like you know, if I then not if I not then really. take that Bitcoin no. and send it to a centralized exchange, is there a possibility that would be like, oh, it looks like you uh, received these Bitcoin. They were these Bitcoin were previously previously went through a, a you know an atomic swap. Um, no, you, no can, you, you can't you can definitively you, you can't definitively say it's been through an atomic swap. It um, might as well come from a multisig signature, a multisig wallet. So it has like extra data on it, but what that data is about cannot really be inferred. Right. It could be a number of other things that you may have done with that Bitcoin previously. Yeah. Yep. It's a bit it's like, like if, it, if that Bitcoin's got an ordinal or some random bit or right. some random extra bit of text, mm-hmm. it could literally just be any random extra bit of indecipherable information, but it doesn't indicate what the nature of that indi- information is. So you can't actually tell that it's, you can't, you can't definitively say this has been involved in a swap. You can just say, Oh, it's just got something slightly different about it, but nothing to just go, oh, oh, this has basically been through a swap. It must be blacklisted. And, you know, I I think that needs to be kept in mind. You know, there are a lot of Bitcoins that go through, you know, have lots of legitimate permutations to them, which are fine. Yeah, that's that's a good question, actually, uh, Doug, because... uh, the contrary with either secret hash swaps or the even worse, uh, you know, like Ethereum style swaps on smart contracts. Mm-hmm. On Ethereum, you can just like, I can enter your deposit address in the Block Explorer and then I can go over literally all the swaps that you've done with that address, exactly what amount, what coin to what token. So it's pretty disastrous from a financial privacy perspective. 
And mm -hmm. I believe that's a big advantage of adapter signature swaps in general, not just in basic swap, but in any current and future DEXs that will implement them, is that it really takes the financial privacy to the next level, specifically in the context of swaps. Awesome, guys. Awesome. So so give us some insight into where this is going. I know we spoke about this the other times you've been on, been on the show. Uh, but if you don't mind rehashing that, you know, what's next for basic swap? How do we get it to the point where uh, it can very easily be used in terms of starting it up, right? Uh, perhaps it's an app on a, a web app on a website. Give us some, some insight there into where things are going and, and how usable it's going to get. Sure. So the overall roadmap is pretty much designed to achieve that as your own point, which is to have the ability to integrate the basic Swapdex engine into any mobile app or into any website. Um, so what we're currently working towards is, firstly, we've got a phased approach for this. The current plan is essentially to develop like client support so that people setting this up for the first time don't necessarily have to download full nodes and sync full nodes for different chains um, rather than you know just kind of getting like clients, which is a lot faster uh, in terms of syncing. The next thing that we're kind of working on, and we already started work on this after Monerotopia um, last year, is the web framework, uh, which is basically a means of being able to access basic swap through a website or a mobile app. So it's basically like, okay, I've now developed a website front end that accesses the basic swap, that accesses a basic swap node. So rather than end users having to go set up their own nodes, go through the installation process, go through all the steps we're talking about and wait ages for things to sync, they can just go to the website and essentially be they'd be accessing via a third party, but they'd still be accessing basic swap decks. So that would be kind of the ultimate endpoint. And, you know, that could apply to mobile applications. You know, we did actually get approached by Kate Wallet saying, could we integrate this? And we basically had to turn around and say to them, yes, but not yet. Let's kind of, we've got to get through these steps. So in our future, we could see this engine being integrated via front ends into multiple, multiple different mobile apps and multiple different websites and multiple different front end interfaces by multiple providers. Uh, and I think that's kind of, you know, a nice way of providing people very easy access to DEXs, be it with whatever caveats the front end provider, you know, chooses to provide. Um, so I think there's room for this to proliferate. We have a long way, I don't want to say we have a long way to get there. What we definitely could use is more developers, more testers, more people from the different coin communities, particularly the Monero community. You guys have been great, you know, uh, in terms of helping us to kind of really, you know, bug, bug you, know, you know, really kind of test this, feel out for any of the bugs, help us out with the fixes, help us out to accelerate the development of this. That would always be, you know, greatly welcome but we certainly see a future in which this engine is the engine of all, I'm not, not going to say the engine of all DEX, but certainly the, it is a, I, we could see it as a major DEX engine providing a front end to many of the world's digital financial services or something of this nature. If you want to have a truly decentralized liquidity ecosystem, I think this is going, this sort of solution is going to be the way forward. Um, yeah. Amazing. 
Awesome. We're, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Noto project that we've been working on. We're launching a, a it's like a plug and play Monero node. Um, just, just thinking outside the box here, is there, is there any thoughts on, on how something like basic swap could be implemented on the Noto to perhaps create a solution where it's pretty seamless for a user? Um, kind of like add an additional app to your Monero Noto, um, kind of automate the, uh, the the running because you, you've essentially at this stage you have to run both blockchains right I'm just I'm just wondering if there's any thoughts there uh, the Noto is all sp- supposed to be about you know simplicity plug and play uh, tap a few buttons and you got a full full Monero node running um, just just wondering if you have any thoughts so there on, uh, we can point to remote nodes with this so uh, CG I think you might be best to answer this but we do support remote node pointing. Yeah, for Monero, it's already baked in, but yeah, I, I, I get the idea of um, the notice that you would run that locally. I assume that it would depend on the amount of space available on the device because you would need to sync the local chains of the coins that you want to enable unless we work on an integration, for example, whereas um, the only local node is Monero and then you can connect to remote nodes for Bitcoin or Litecoin or other options. Mm. That could certainly be something that's uh, doable. I don't know how much that fits into the philosophy of the product. If you want to have everything locally, obviously that's going to require a bit more of storage space, but uh, maybe having like the Monero node locally and connect to uh, other nodes externally. And then Mm -hmm. that could be a pretty streamline setup process or pre-installed even that, that that would actually be pretty cool it would certainly help with the adoption as well of um basic swap and i think just in the grander scheme of things uh help monero uh really break linked with centralized exchanges which i think is critical because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. binance is probably not going to be the only exchange to delist it uh, yeah, I think we do need to find ways to drive more adoption to decentralized exchanges in general. So, for sure, happy for sure, to, yeah. happy to work on a solution. Awesome, yeah. Maybe I could get you guys uh, in conversation with the the devs that uh, we have working on uh, Noto. That would, you know, maybe yeah. maybe, maybe there yeah, maybe there's something cool. there. Maybe yeah. there's something there. Um, yeah, I mean, in my mind, I would think it'd be like, the, maybe it's even we're, we're running, obviously Nodo's built to run a Monero node, but maybe it's run, you're running a Monero node and a, and a Bitcoin one, or even a Litecoin one. Right. And just trying to really just simplify the process with Monero first in mind, making it s- super easy for people to use your swap functionality to effectively obtain Monero anonymously. Um, I, li- I like the Litecoin thinking because uh, that's that's a, a simple, easy coin to get. It's very liquid. It's on all centralized exchanges. And like uh, Dr. Cap was saying, that's probably the best one to use uh, in terms of fees and speed for purposes of getting into Monero. Yeah, it's probably the ideal on and off ramp right now for Monero. But yeah. in the end, by the way, basic sub uses prune chains. So now that I think of it, it's the storage requirement is not that intense either yeah the device uh has uh, two terabytes so i mean it should but you oh, know it's it's built it's built to really really uh uh 
last right in terms of the growth of the monero <laughs> chain so we got to take that into account we want it to be like you know something you could have sit on your desk for for five years no worries um yeah very cool no nope, happy to collaborate for sure speaking um, just, uh speaking go ahead dr cap no i was just gonna say touching back on the Litecoin thing i think actually that's probably the ideal pairing with monero um one of the reasons we'd say why is because we actually are developing support for Mimblewimble swaps on the decks um so actually although you wouldn't be able to do a straight member wimble like winter monero you know certainly people buying litecoin from exchanges could send it via member wimble to their own wallet which would obfuscate the origin and then do a litecoin to monero swap so it gives you the ability to leverage and utilize multiple privacy layers um we, we've already sort of built support for mweb balances so you can send mweb litecoin to our debt to your litecoin to your litecoin wallet on this dex and then convert it into a public litecoin balance so that that's kind of where we're at now uh, and i think that's kind of the way forward but sorry i was interrupting no 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 it's it's, it's great stuff i was just going to say spe speaking of uh because we were saying collaboration um what are the odds we get you back at monerotopia this year in argentina and buenos aires would love to have you guys again pretty high. high i mean my wife's definitely good with the idea <laughs> it's a good excuse to go hang out in buenos aires right yeah. uh it, sh it should have a pretty good vibe this year as well so yeah we would really love to have you guys there uh you bring you bring a lot to the ecosystem because you you represent you're kind of the the node that brings in all the projects right so uh, and, and I, and Dr. Cap, I think you did a good job of expressing that in your talk last year on the importance of these privacy tech projects, uh, and cryptos to collaborate, work together, um, and reasons for why it makes sense for there to be, you know, multiple projects, people working on specific little, perhaps experimental things on one chain that perhaps gets implemented in another one in the future. Um, so I, I think you're, you're doing a great job at kind of setting, setting that tone. How do you, how do you feel about that right now? Do you feel like, I, do you feel like progress is being made in that regard? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we, we have very good relationships with other privacy projects. Um, you know, like I said, we, we, have uh you know we we're actually having uh active discussions with litecoin foundation now directly we've been having a lot of active you know collaboration with fero with pivx uh we've uh been reached out to and kind of worked together with uh zeno we've explored options with zeno um you know we've, we've certainly been reached out to by vino um vino sorry um Veil and and a couple of other smaller projects. What we're finding is, yeah, uh, I hate this sounds arrogant of me to say it, but the things we predicted are kind of happening, which is, and it's not that we predicted them; they're kind of they're obvious if you kind of think about it. Which is that the regulatory landscape would eventually clamp down on privacy coins; they would use them as a scapegoat. And you know we're we're seeing that clamp down in terms of in terms of restrictions on liquidity for privacy coins, and you know we are seeing the emergence of a two tier liquidity system. I talk about the public liquidity ecosystem 
and the private liquidity ecosystem and the public liquidity ecosystem, which is probably going to be Bitcoin and CBDCs and other public and other public blockchains, they are probably going to facilitate a surveillance state. You know, certainly a financial surveillance state. That is what they will do. And yes, some of them may be permissioned, and within some of these permissioned entities, you may have privacy inverted commas. Um, but in order to clear the way for that framework, we are seeing pressure being put on pure privacy coins, true privacy coins, uh, which are being excluded from that. Um, I think we are building a bridge technologically, uh, metaphor you know, I was going to say metaphorically, but we are, you know, certainly in terms of trying helping to build some of that sort of social capital to try and bring the, the various privacy projects together and we want to facilitate that and i think we are uh, and they are coming together um you know actually I, we I, for the last year have been running a series called the privacy roundtable and dub you you know we'd love to have you on as a guest at some point if you're available you know we, we've sure. chat about you know, some fairly heavy topics in this space and you know i'd love to have you on as a guest for that um, and yeah, I think it's been a great way to bring people together to talk about, you know, subjects that we care about, which is privacy, freedom of information, you know, protection from the abuses of state power and all of, from the abuse of power. That is essentially what privacy is about. That's what, you know, first interview, I basically said that to you. Um, so I think, you know, I think the future is actually good. And I think what we've got right now is a temporary blip that may look and may feel like a larger blip than it really is, but it will ultimately take us back to the original cypherpunk vision, which is a truly free state. Yeah, it's it's an exciting crossroads that we're at, right? And uh, we we were we were pushed off the highway, um, uh, you know, to to now make our own path. Um, what are some things in your mind that you think you know? we need to see get done for us to successfully opt out and, you know, build a liquidity outside of the centralized system. What are some of the other things you're thinking in your mind as, as terms of utilities, resources that we're going to need in this ecosystem? We, we need to, to build convenience. So the million dollar, you know, the million dollar question is how do we bring convenience to privacy? A lot of the, core architecture that we're building the way we've taken this is let's just get the core architecture right first so that as we build up the layers of convenience they don't pri they don't compromise the underlying core so i think the first thing is don't compromise your values don't compromise your underlying core because everything you build from that foundation you know if you've got a rotten foundation ultimately it'll fall apart i could get critical of Ethereum here because that's essentially what brought me into a cryptocurrency as a speculator in 2016. And, you know, I remember their website was like, you know, censorship proof, censorship resistant. It's a public blockchain. It's not ever going to be censorship proof or resistant. You know, all of the fundamental selling points for Ethereum, I really hate to say this, and I'm maxis are going to go nuts on me because, you know, but it's a fraud. Like you can't, you you can't have true financial freedom without privacy, and you can't have privacy on a public blockchain. You know that that is not a good foundation. So that, I think that's important is to acknowledge the role of purely private blockchains in providing that solid foundation. It's to acknowledge the role of 
technologies that take privacy very seriously at a very core level, and then solving that million dollar question, which is providing convenience with an acceptable level of trade-offs. And that's the thing, every time you create convenience, you do create some trade-offs. You know, if we do the web framework, that will allow someone to create a website which you could access basic swap decks from, but that person would still be a gateway provider who could then set their terms. Uh, they may not be able to monitor, they may not be able to control the flow of transactions, but there's always, you know, depending on how, every time you create a third party provider, you, you gain convenience, but you sacrifice some degree of privacy. So it's about finding that right balance for people and for individuals to decide for themselves what the right balance they need is and for giving those individuals the choice of options to engage at the level they want to. I think that's very important. I think in terms of achieving the privacy liquidity ecosystem, we will need to develop fully decentralized e-commerce solutions. Again, what brought me to basic swap decks was the Particle project and the Particle project had have developed a fully decentralized KYC free peer-to-peer eBay style e-commerce solution. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you, we've had challenges with adoption of that. You know, we came out running it on the part token, which, you know, it's, it has, it's a ring CT coin. So you have to do the transactions to settle on that, but it enables programmable outputs because it has multi-state privacy layers. So it has public states, a CT state and a ring CT state. But at the end of the day, that's a coin that was listed on centralized exchanges. And if you're telling people to go buy goods on our marketplace, but they have to get the coin off a centralized exchange, it defeats the point and it creates layers of friction. What we need to do is make access to these coins easy, instant, and then we need to provide fully decentralized platforms for people in, to buy and sell goods on. The end game for me is actually e-commerce. No, scratch that. The end game for me is decentralized governance, you know, a direct democracy that's one person, you know, one issue, one vote. That's actually my end game. But to get to that, before we get to that, we need to have decentralized e-commerce. And in order to get decentralized e-commerce, we need to have decentralized liquidity. And underpinning all of those steps has to be privacy, because I said to you, you know, a private thought is the most secure thought, and that permits true freedom of speech between two parties. So you need to have a truly private liquidity ecosystem. Monero's achieved that. You need to then have a truly private means of swapping and exchanging and sharing that liquidity, which is in part what we're doing through basic swap decks. And as you've mentioned, there are many several other solutions, which I think are very robust and worth looking into. And then we need to link those into decentralized e-commerce platforms, because if you're relying on centralized commerce providers, you know, the owners, the gatekeepers of those services can always shut down individual vendors. They can always spy on individual vendors. They can always censor individual vendors. They can always enforce variable and arbitrary third party fees, you know, and they can punish the end users as well. So I think we need to build that. And actually, if you really want to get into it, then we need to build decentralized shipping solutions that are privacy focused. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done to get to that endpoint of a decentralized privacy-focused nation state that permits true freedom of information, true freedom of speech. But we need to go in a stepwise manner. It's why I'm partly critical of DAOs at the moment, because you're kind of jumping several steps ahead of where we should be. You cannot have a governance system or a mature governance system that people want to adopt without having a mature economy in place. And you can't have a mature economy in place without mature 
commerce in place, and you can't have that in place without mature liquidity and fungibility. So, you know, that, that's my take on it. I am. I'm so sorry. You've just suddenly muted. Oh, I'm sorry. That was, that was, I'm sorry. I was muting because there's a little noise back here. I was just saying you are, we, we are brothers in, in this mission. Uh, I, I completely align with your vision and, and, and what we need to do and, and, uh, you know, the ultimate goals here. Um, so yeah, beautiful, beautiful to see, beautiful to hear. I actually worked on a pro before Bitcoin back in the day. I worked on a project called Gov Together, and it was it was trying to move towards that that one person, one vote uh, concept. Although I, I don't want to get into that, have that discussion. Um, if you get some time, have a look at how um, Kialo. I don't know if you've ever played around with that website, Kialo.com. It's no. uh, I think when we when we kind of talk about um, decentralized models for one person, one vote, you know, one issue uh, debate, I think that that combined with something like uh, I could go and sorry, this could be a different topic altogether. Yeah, I really a, appreciate this. Whole, this, this is a whole, whole different topic. We, we got to talk about it one of these days. Yeah. Um, I would love to get, love to get your full take on it. Um, I mean, I, I think I think true di direct democracy could, could be could be a dangerous thing. Uh, I don't, do you want to quickly comment on that? What, what do you? Um, what, what is I your take? I think I think if you have, so if I were to do a separate talk on this, I would take you to a website called Kialo.com, and I'd go through their debating platform. And it basically it's a de it's it's not decentralized in the underlying architecture, but it's decentralized in the sense that anyone can go there, ask a question, and then anyone else can look at that question and then create pros and cons for that. And then anyone can put pros and cons for the pros and cons, and anyone can put pros and cons for that. So you can kind of follow a train of thought all the way down. It's a bit like having Reddit, but in a kind of mind map view, and you can actually upvote and downvote things. One of the things I think is, you know, if we're saying democracy is dangerous, thoughts can hurt people. One of the best features I find on Twitter is the mute button. If people are irritating me, I don't block people on Twitter. I don't actually believe in, I don't like blocking people. I don't really believe in blocking people because it just, it denies them their right to engage with me. But if I mute someone, you can say, you can speak into the wind all you like. I'm just not listening. Um, and that's kind of, I think that's kind of the thing here is that, you know, I could get into a whole system about how you could probably design this thing so that it preserves the freedom of speech without denying right. anyone individual their given right to speak. You, 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 don't, um, you don't want a tyr tyranny by the majority situation, right? No. When I ran for Congress here in New York, one of the things I did was pledge that if elected, I was going to use a system to allow all my constituents to vote directly on every issue. Uh, and then I would then use that as a poll to then vote in Congress, right? So with the ma maintaining that I, I, at the end of the day, I would be the representative, I would be the, the final final decision maker if I felt like there were some, uh, in you know, some 
uh, wrong that need to be corrected in terms of some minority viewpoint getting uh, getting silenced uh, that I would I would then you know do so. But the idea would be to use this direct democracy tool to get insight into how my constituents would want me to vote, but still maintain a, a representative at the end of the day. See, I wish that's how representative democracies would work. I really do. Yes, yeah, so I, I tried um, to implement it through through the running of Congress uh, and thinking, you know, then this could be something that would catch on and it, by, through force, other representatives would essentially be forced to do it because their constituents would expect the same thing. I, I think, so it's an interesting when you say this, I think... The things you've got to factor in, why has representative democracy failed? One of the things I think about is if you kind of, I like to use the 1950s as a comparison point because relative populations were a lot smaller and working patterns were very different. So in my imaginary head, the 1950s was lots of people, nine to five lifestyle, or even if you go back a bit earlier before light bulbs were around, it was very much you know nine to five lifestyle with or daylight hours lifestyle with really small populations. So back then, one representative, you know, they were proportionately representing far, you know, it's, it was one to 100 as opposed to one to 20,000. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot easier to get into the ear of that representative and for that representative to really take stock of what was going on around them. Exactly. And the other issue that you've got with representative democracy then is that working hours have changed. So in the United Kingdom where I live, if I work nights nonstop and sleep during the day, at no point will I really have the time to go into my local councillor's office and discuss with my member of parliament issues that are of concern to me. I could drop them an email and hope they receive it, but there's no guarantee uh, I'd have to book an appointment with them. And that's dependent on whether they're holding a clinic at all to begin with, because how often these guys hold clinics is pretty much at their discretion. So. There are lots of human factors there, which I think need to be considered. How convenient can you make the access to that model? So for me, the ideal setup would be if you've got sufficiently tech literate society, the first thing I would do is figure out a way to make sure that those engaging with that system were anonymous. So you couldn't necessarily identify the individual, but they were completely free to say whatever they wanted. Now, anyone that you have a given area, a given postcode, and that's a physical domain. And I guess you have your own private key and it kind of plugs in and it just says this individual who we can't identify is now part of this domain mm -hmm. and they're excluded from other domains in terms of governance. governance. And in joining this particular domain, they could see all of the different debates relevant to that physical area and they themselves could propose any topic of debate for discussion. So they can participate and no one knows who's saying what in this system. You just know that people are making arguments for or against things or are proposing things. And proposals are either being upvoted or downvoted. And you as an end user, you could read through things and go, oh, I really like what this guy is saying. He seems like a troll, this guy with this random hash ID that keeps appearing, but I don't know who he is. And you know it's a one-way hash, so there's no way of me tracing back to it. So I'm going to mute this guy because he seems to be persistently trolling. So it actually has an incentive built in to stop people from trolling because if you keep trolling, you're just going to get muted by everyone. Then no one's going to hear what you have to say and you can't troll anymore. And then you kind of lose your own democratic voice. But if you're making reasonable arguments and engaging with the system in good faith, 
you're not likely going to get muted. You're just maybe going to get downvoted if you disagreed on or someone will say something anonymously. And in that system, you can't, you know, you can't find it. If you're hiding the identities of participants, you can't then have a sudden giant corporation or a lobbying firm go, we're going to go after this individual because he's in a select position of power and we can give him money and take up plenty of his time and show him a really good time in order to support our initiative. No, they have to engage with the forum directly. They have to put logical, rational debates. And if this is an online forum, which you can access, well, that's great for people who are disabled or elderly and sufficiently tech literate to access the forum. Plug in my encrypted key. Now I'm into the forums. Now I can kind of look through everything rather than engage with the news. Oh, this bad shit's going on. I can't do anything. Oh, that sucks. Or, oh, go to social media, doom scroll for a while and tweet about what I believe in, but not actually have any ability to make a directly engaged difference. No, you go straight to the forum as the first thing. Look at the issues immediately relevant to you because they're in your area. That means they're most immediately available for you to make a difference about and then vote on them. And if this, if stuff goes wrong, then you can't really blame a larger, more abstract authority. You can only go and say, look, we collectively as a community messed up here. We have to take a certain degree of ownership for that. So it's kind of like it rewards you for engagement. It rewards you participation for participation. And such a system would punish you for, well, not punish you, but it, 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 if you're disengaging from such a system, and in my mind, that system is designed to be as passively and freely accessible and convenient to accessible and accessible at all times of day. Um, and I'm not saying this is a perfect system. I think these are the underlying principles of such a system. Uh, and I'm sure if you kind of do the thought, you know, that you could nitpick into it and find lots of loopholes, et cetera. But as a fundamental principle, I think this is probably the future of dem democracy. I think this is what decentralized movements m aim towards. You know, uh, that that's certainly where my interest is. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's what kind here. of keeps me going. You know, that's yeah, why. I do <laughs> like I said, I mean, I was working on this in, in like the, uh, I think it was two thousand. It was called Gov Together. It was two thousand and nine, and then then when I did run for Congress in. 2020 it was with the thought of trying to implement the system through my running for congress um but yeah we we, we could go on this for, for quite some time um this great great discussion i think it was it was a nice little uh little sidetrack there I, I hope i hope people are interested in it as much as we are it's you know i mean the goal here is right it, it that's what this is all about. This is where this is where the passion comes from, right? It's it's liberty. It's improving society. It's growing the the liberty index in the world. It's reducing the role the role of governments. That's what it's all about. Uh, so yeah, if you're listening to this and you're not excited about the, these concepts, I, I guess you you probably shouldn't be you shouldn't be here anyway, and you probably wouldn't be here. Uh, but yeah, that's what that's what got me so excited about Monero, right? Because um, it, it fulfills that that role there in being utility, being digital cash for the internet and all the all these things are are things that we're going to need in the in the future to to uh, maintain our liberty uh in spite of uh in you know growing digital tyranny as i'm, I'm sure you, i'm sure you think along the same lines right in in, in, in all of those regards it, it is a it is a frustrating world to look at in the now i'll say that much i think we we have a lot of work to do uh, and it's hard work. 
Uh, and the, the frustrating thing about it is having the response, having the responsibility in the sense, um, yeah, having the responsibility, knowing it's there, you can't escape it once you've seen it. You, you know, for me, the options would be if I were to ignore this, it would be do drink and drugs and live a life of despair. That is, you know, what what do I actually have to live for? Let, 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 there's a lot I have to live for. Let me just make that clear. I, there's a lot of stuff in my personal life that makes me very happy. But if I was to look and say, you know, I look at my age, you know, if I get another 30 years left, hopefully I'm lucky. But what do I do with all of that time? I do a lot of good now, but I see all of the problems inherent in the world. And it's very apparent to me what some of the underlying root causes of that relate to, and they are structural in nature. I could go on another whole topic about psychopathy, empathy, spectrum, all kinds of uh, thought experiments related to that and how they create behavioral profiles and behavioral types and how that has significant influence on governance structures and mechanisms. That's an entire mm. topic in itself. But once you understand the structural causes of these things, if you start taking yourself down that rabbit hole, it, it's very hard to kind of go back, you know, without losing, without taking some part of yourself from it. You, you, you can't, you, you grow as a person and, and it is a responsibility. Um, but it's an honor. <laughs> it leads you to meet like the most interesting people who genuinely care about on a fundamental level, making the world a better place. And you do that, not just at the local level with the actions you do day to day, trying to help the people you do, you do that as part of the long-term vision. Cause this is about preventing people from being exploited. I have plenty of colleagues. I, I work still professionally as a doctor. I don't, I don't need to, I suppose. But I know plenty of my colleagues who are now being exploited by a mortgage system and a lifestyle that was promised to them that they never had to think about. And now because the rules of the game are changing uh, and to specify that interest rates have gone up massively in the last year and a half, they're now playing on a completely different financial playing field to me uh, and they're suffering for it. And I don't think people who work hard, who have honest intentions and want to do good for society should have to suffer. I, I think they should be supported. And I think if we're living in a society that doesn't enable good people to do the right thing or to help support society, then we, we've got a problem with society. And I think that's what, what a lot of people see now on some level, all the partisanship, all, of, all the animosity that we seem to have towards each other. It is this recognition that there are people that want to do good, that really want to make a difference in the world, but they're just, the opportunities aren't there for them. And that's, or the opportunity doesn't seem like it's there for them, or it's been taken away, or the rug is constantly being pulled. And I can understand that frustration. I can see that frustration. And when you get that, you start getting people who stop believing in society. And when people stop believing in society, they disengage. When they disengage, society falls apart. It's, it's, it's happening in the UK now. I really hate saying that, but it's actively a thing that's happening in the UK. We're seeing the brain drain. I've had, um, so I'm going on about this, but I've had like four of my consultant colleagues leave within the last year to go to Canada, sing, uh, Canada, the Middle East, etc. just because the opportunities are there, the quality of life's better because their rug isn't being pulled there. Uh, and these are people who've worked 15 years in the system, believing in the promise of the system. And then the system has essentially turned around and screwed them. And I think if the system had been different in the sense of if it, if it had spent more time giving them a financial education, if it spent more time 
teaching them not to be so passive about their expectations. And this is not a criticism of them, not at all. It, it, it just comes down to, if you go back into me, I've always had a mistrust of authority. Uh, I think it's a health, it's good to have a healthy mistrust of authority because it is always, you know, once you really, you can see all the different ways. If you keep yourself abreast of current events, over a long period of time, if you're looking wide enough, you can see all the different ways in which authority in some point or form abuses power. Uh, and that's a cumulative thing and that affects all areas of life. So I think that's a healthy thing to mistrust. So when you're given a template format for life, and sorry, this is a tangent here, um, then if, if, if you as a society, as a governance structure, are going to give a template format for life, then you need to really safeguard that so that people's expectations aren't dashed. Otherwise, you create instability. And, and that's where we're at. And everything that we're building right now, I see that as a road out of that, as an evolution. I see this as, I think the American Revolution is already re-beginning. You know, I think, you know, what, what the, the founding fathers did, you know, if you look at some of the stuff they were talking about, they had a really advanced knowledge of game theory. You know, a hundred years ago, people were, you had the founding fathers who were doing game theory before game theory was even defined as game theory. They were looking at governance mechanisms and saying, how do people abuse this structure? How do we create a system where we can safeguard against abuses of power? It was a robust democracy that evolved from that. And that created the foundation for a superpower because it created the foundation for genuine freedom of speech, information spreading, ideas spreading. You know, you have the smartest financiers in the world. That's why you've, you had Bretton Woods. You had Bretton Woods. You know, you, you literally have the petrodollar. You literally, India could have been the most powerful super It could have been the most powerful country in the world because, you know, Petrol was being traded in Indian rupees going back to the 1970s, but the US was able to strike the agreement to say petrol will be traded in dollars and the dollar would become the reserve currency. You know, America, through pursuing that model of freedom of speech, enabled the, the articulation and facilitation of ideas. It just allowed the brightest minds to shoot straight to the top. You know, it, it, there, there was, a, you know, it was very much a meritocracy. I don't know if that still applies as much but there, there's a lot you know if you look back at recent history you can kind of see okay well it's obvious why this happened uh sorry well that was that's me no, fantastic i guess you know uh, a final question could be what, what do you see as being the ne the next iteration uh something like uh network states that that theory like what, what's what's after the united states of america uh, what is Mon is it Monerica or, or something like, I mean, what, what is, what is the next iteration be it beyond, beyond the, beyond the state? What is the, the, the you know, what do we get so to next? If, if you ask me what I fantasize about the stuff that I fantasize about, you know, I look at my, my heritage is Sri Lanka and there's this whole segment of Southern Sri Lanka, which is desert. And to me, I just kind of, in my mind, I dream of going there, buying a ton of land in the desert because you think desert's valueless or relatively valueless, and then just building a ton of solar farms, using the solar farms to mine cryptocurrencies, you know, Monero, Bitcoin, use them as data centers and supply the local population. But then to use the profits of that to build my own micro society, which would utilize my own governance model, the one that I've just outlined to you, the whole decentralized governance model, and then use that as an example to say, look, 
okay, we can explore this experiment. And if it works, perhaps it can be replicated elsewhere. It's interesting how we'll go about that. I mean, I think the concept of micronations is a very powerful thing. Um, I think the reason they probably haven't, I think the reason we probably don't have millions of micronations right now is because the technology to facilitate the communication between them hasn't been there until up to now. But if you look at, um, you know, a really good example, actually, I think Estonia, if you look at the stuff they're doing with their digital sort of digital ID, digital citizenship and being able to run a virtual business and stuff, a lot of the infrastructure is now in place to permit better communication between micro societies. A lot of the infrastructure is in place to permit better currency exchange. Going back to what I said about the, the Particle project, that uh, Particle is a decentralized marketplace. If it fully realizes its, vi its vision, it, it would be easily robust, easily accessible, and would permit full multi-currency support for the currencies of your choice. So I could see a society in which people are using a decentralized commerce platform with a built-in decentralized messaging platform to kind of communicate and trade, list and trade goods between each other in the currency, in the digital currencies of their choice. And then they, in their local areas, they would be debating local issues using their own decentralized governance platform, but it would require a fairly tech literate society. So it will be the tech literate societies that get there first. And you're gonna have to have people that are willing to then build out the respective infrastructure and educate the local population to then get you there. So it's not gonna happen at once, but it will happen I feel like it's one of those things where it has like a da 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 da, -da and then it will just snowball. Um, and I think we're very much in that kind of halfway through the inertia phase. That's what it feels like to me, like probably early stages. S slowly, then suddenly. Yeah. All right, guys, this this is fantastic. I mean, we, we covered a lot today. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up that you feel like we, we should have mentioned with regards to basic swap or any of the other... Uh, you know, projects, things you're working on? Uh, CG? Yeah, I don't know if you still see my screen. Oh, I can bring it back. Uh, just to follow up on the swap that we undertook a bit earlier, it did complete. So now we see completed that we swap. Um, you see the screen, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we yeah. see that we swap 70 part per... Uh, point to XMR and that it completed. Unfortunately, it seems that we hit some relative, relatively slow blocks. So it took mm -hmm. about an hour to complete. So it was a bit on the, for a Monero particle swap, that's a bit on the, uh, on the, on the higher end of the, um, of the time. Usually it would take around 30 minutes, I would say, but okay. yeah, this time took a bit longer, but as you wait for the swap to go through, you get your steps to complete here and you have like a full timeline of what happened. So the steps are all, you know, marked so that you can see that something is still ongoing because, you know, when you wait an hour, if you have no output or no feedback, it can feel like it got stuck or something, uh, which was not the case. And then we can verify in the wallets page here um, that we indeed... Um, uh, did receive our Monero. Um, yeah, sometimes you need to just hit the refresh button. If 
But yeah, in in terms of yeah, in terms of what's yeah, upcoming, I think um, here. There you go. Uh, point um, two was yeah. the dust that I had, so point twenty two about right now. But yep, completed. Oh, well, just to kind of fill in, in terms of what's what's sort of upcoming CG in terms of the development cycle for us. Uh, I think you covered it well a bit earlier. Um, for uh, this year, it uh, we heavily focused. Last year, actually, we focused more heavily on the code base and the underlying architecture of the decks. Uh, moving forward, it's as Cap has been saying, we're going to be increasingly focusing on uh, usability. So, as a first step, connecting to light nodes or remote services, and then building a more fleshed-out web interface. Um, of course, we'll always have the local basic swap available because that's the no compromise option. If you really don't want to sacrifice any privacy or decentralization, of course, a web access is probably not what you're looking for, but we're trying to cater to as many users as possible because we still believe that you know a good web interface for something like basic swap is still a better option than centralized exchanges, but you have people that will only want to use something that's super quick to use. So uh, just trying to provide as many options as possible. And then after the web interface, of course, basic swap will become a little bit more integratable. So we hope to uh, work with different teams and projects and wallets and whatnot to integrate basic sub services um, on these platforms mm -hmm. again just to make it more accessible uh, to the end user because the more people that we bring to our platform is essentially less users on centralized exchanges and that's what we're here for uh, but let's say this year will be more heavily focused on usability and hopefully we hope to scale the team as well the basic swap, basic swap uh, team we hope to scale it this year um, but it's a work in progress, so we'll see as we go. But uh, we're definitely here for the long run. We've been working on this project either on Particle or well, Particle since 2017, and Basic Swap, I believe, we started in 2020 or something. So actually, um, I'd say we probably started earlier, but yeah, yeah, probably yeah, in 2020. Doing experimentations with the Base Swap protocol, but uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we're definitely here for the long run and. <laughs> If I have one more thing to add, I would say big shout out to everybody in the basic swap uh, channel on Element or Discord or Telegram. They're linked together. Big shout out to everybody that's helping us test the system. Uh, we've seen quite a few pull requests on GitHub from some of the community members in, in, in Monero. So we're incredibly thankful for everybody's participation and support. And uh, I think it's important to keep in mind that we're a small team, so it's like any help that we can get in terms of like PR, development, testing, anything is just we're incredib incredibly thankful for this uh, decentralized team effort. Fantastic. Dr. Cap, what, what, any, any final words? Oh, I just, you know, I just want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you, Doug, and, and the production team just for giving us time to speak as always, and also for allowing me to tangent. Um, honestly, it's been great. Uh, I want to thank all the, the the decentralized communities out there also, you know, working towards the same things. Um, you know, we have a lot of respect for you. Um, so honestly, we're really grateful to all the work that you guys do. Yeah, honestly. And just keep doing them. <laughs> 
Doug, Doug, hearing you talk with Cap, you guys should definitely meet up on the uh, privacy roundtable to discuss these uh, decentralized society topics. That would be really Oh, yeah, for sure. For discussion. sure. For sure. Definitely. Definitely will do. Uh, thank you so much, guys. If you just want to uh, mention any uh, resources, links, or way for people to get in touch with you if they, if they want to participate or help out in a certain way, or just, just put all the information out there in terms of resources. Sure. Links. So if you want to kind of download and install basic swap decks, go to basicswapdex.com. Follow us on Twitter at basic swap decks. Uh, you can also follow us at particle project, which is the parent project for us. Um, we have combined channels, uh, for elements. So matrix, uh, telegram and discord, they're all combined by a bot into one channel. So if you join and you keep seeing messages from Pennyworth, don't worry, that's actually messages from other people, but that's the name of the bot that links our channels. Um, yeah, I would say those are probably the best resources to get in touch and if you know if you're interested in if you're a developer interested in working with us either ping us directly via twitter or send an email to hello at particle.io p-a-r-t-i-c-l.io um, certainly if you are looking to help develop or contribute to the project we would welcome you come join us in the basic swap chats and donations are always welcome to help accelerate and further the cause awesome thank you so much guys uh, this is great Yes, thanks to you. Yeah, uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, hopefully I'll I'll see you down in Argentina. Hopefully we can make that happen. for sure. For sure. Definitely. All right, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thanks. Have a good one. Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to Live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or CakeWallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.